Hello, welcome to Create Your Bliss with Nika Annan. Today we have the fabulous opportunity of talking to Lucy Ghent Foma. She has written a wonderful book called Funded, How I Leveraged My Passion to Live a Fulfilling Life and How You Can Too. This is a profoundly useful guide, very practical on how to get scholarships and fellowships and grants. Uh, Lucy was born in Santa Fe to a family of West African dance and drum artists. She is a dancer, a city planner, and a writer who has lived in Senegal, Cameroon, Brazil, as well as the southeast, southwest and northeast of the United States. She has received merit-based funding to conduct research and implement projects in American and African cities alike. After graduating from Smith College, she was a Fulbright Fellow and a Rotary Scholar in Senegal before attending Cornell for her master's degree. She currently works as a transportation scholar for the National Park Service, located currently in Bandelier, and writes about parenting, planning, and pursuing your passion. Her website is www.lucygentfoma.com. Thank you. We're here to talk about Lucy's book, which is called Funded, How I Leverage My Passion to Live a Fulfilling Life and How You Can Too. Um, This is really an exciting book, Lucy, because in it you tell your story of how you figured out how to not just create your bliss, but how to fund it. Yeah, (laughs) which is the practical part. (laughs) Which is very important, and it's a wonderfully practical book. So uh, what brought you to actually writing the book? So I am on a number of databases now because Mm -hmm. I got funding for the Fulbright through Smith College, and I got funded to go to graduate school, and then I'm on the website for my current job. Uh, People kept reaching out to me and asking me for help, so I realized that I do have a skill set around this now because it's been seven years of funded work. Wow. And um, nearly a quarter million dollars of getting scholarships and fellowships. So I realized this is something that people want to know about. And I am maybe not the most, you know, qualified person to write. I am qualified at this point, but I had the willingness and the time to write it. And so I wanted to make the information I have available to other people. And that's where the book came in. Well, and it sounds like you didn't set yourself out to be a material matter expert in this area, but that this was a facilitation of your own dream. Yeah, it definitely was. And it has been an interesting process going through all of these scholarships and fellowships because, uh, as you read, they've been in different things. The first one was in microfinance, actually, mm-hmm. a fellowship to Cameroon. And then I did a grant in education, and then I did a a Fulbright in dance, and then I did city and regional planning. So they haven't been all connected. And I think that your show about finding your bliss, it's all about finding what's been interesting to me and going with it and really seeking to pursue that area. So I've even, you know, kind of been going in a different direction and then something else catches my attention and I trust it and I follow that and it works out that way. So it's been a very non-linear process, but it's all worked out well, and I feel blessed to be able to pursue these things. So. But I think that's, that's so exciting because 
you talk about finding different or following different interests. And I think very many people feel that for grants or for fellowships or even for their life, they have to have one pattern. Yeah. And they have to prove that they can do yeah. it. And they have this sort of very locked in perception. And what's really exciting about your life is that you've not limited yourself in that way. Yeah, that's a very good point. I recently was on a college tour for my book in Massachusetts. And the whole point of my presentations at colleges was who who knows what they've always wanted to do? Does anyone even know what they've always wanted to do? Very few people have one path in life. And that's not because we're not driven individuals. I mean, there are those people who've been doctors because they always knew they wanted to be a doctor. But so many people are fascinated by just the multitude of interests they have and picking up where you left off in photography or you know, pursuing something in the sciences or whatever, whatever interest you have, you can delve into that further. And I think fellowships and scholarships offer you the opportunity to do that and get paid to do it. And it's not like you're dropping out of the workforce to go and be a bum or something for five years while you find yourself or, you know, dabble in some something that's not lucrative. When you get a fellowship or a scholarship and you've you've spent some time investing your attention in that, when you come back, you're richer for having delved into that other side of you and taken some time for yourself. But people always also recognize fellowships and scholarships. So it does go on your resume as like, you know, wow, you, <laughs> you were able to get money to do that. That's amazing. You must be really good at it. But it's not even necessarily being really good at it. It's about how to frame frame the story around it. So um, in my book, I have all these worksheets and they ask you pointed questions. So you're taking down notes about what you're interested in doing throughout the chapters. And then when you get to the part about writing your actual application, you have the, the evidence and you have the bullet points that you need to show that you, you are invested in this in some way already. And that's why you should get money to do more. Well, and I recall reading about your Fulbright scholarship that part of that was to talk about the experience that it would give you. Yeah. And the depth that then not only did that help get the the scholarship, but then that gives a depth to your life and your future professional life. Yeah, I mean, um, and the interesting thing about fellowships and scholarships is that you write what you're going to do, you tell them your purpose statement and your methodology for your research if you're going to do that but it doesn't always pan out that way what you plan to do and um, I think the cumulative knowledge that you gain and the experience of just even being in another place or working in a different field for a period of time exactly enriches you and and makes you a more fulfilled person overall so it really it fills out people in many different ways besides just what you intend to do and lay out in your research plan, per se. And think about the process. I was really fascinated in reading this because when I was doing my coaching training, I found a lot of people who, and in my coaching practice, people who have a dream, and, and maybe it's more of a dream than a vision. They don't have a blueprint. They don't have any concept of what the steps are or how to organize it or how to present it or maybe that in order to create your bliss or live a life of bliss there's a lot of work involved yeah. there's a lot of planning 
and there's a big learning curve about yeah. what is it that I'm everything from how to do it and how to ask it and how to talk about it and, and I'm going to ask you to talk about a lot of that because I think those are fabulous skills but also about what it is that you're really interested in and what really calls you yeah um well that brings me back to the Fulbright again because when I was looking to do a Fulbright I didn't know what it was going to be in I just knew that I wanted a Fulbright and so mm -hmm. I was very fortunate to work with a mentor who does this for a living. He works out of Smith College, and he works with students to form their applications. So to even start working with him, I had to come up with a topic that he thought was going to be a, you know, an eligible topic for, for applying. And I kept listing things. I was looking at maybe doing in, uh, renewable energy in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I was looking at um, doing something in Cameroon because I've been to Cameroon. I was looking at uh, economics somewhere. And each one he was like, you know, I don't really see you in this application. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah, you, you did economics in college and you did live in Brazil and stuff. But what is something that you have a history with and that you're really passionate about? And as I was throwing out all these ideas, I mean, I was lucky to have a sounding board so mm -hmm, that he could mm -hmm. vet them because that's one of the things is you think you just keep circling around the same idea because you have no one to tell you, no, that's not going to work. Right, but right. <laughs> and you don't sound like you, yeah, you don't, that you believe yeah, yourself. Yeah, you don't believe right yourself now. in this. But what I realized was part of my whole reason for wanting to go back to Africa was to study dance because that's what I'd grown up doing. And mm -hmm, I had mm -hmm. taken a couple trips to Senegal to study dance. And my thinking was, if I think of a good, like, research topic in something valid, something like economics, mm -hmm. then when I'm there, I can also dance. And I was like, you know, they'll never know. They'll never know. That's my ulterior motive. And finally, I just came to this point where I was like, well, what if I just propose to do dance in Senegal? And I was, I was like, I mean, they're probably not going to go for it because dance isn't you know, a real field to study mm -hmm. or something. But he said, that's it. That's the one. That's what you have the best chance at because you have a history with it. You're really passionate about it. You've done other trips related to that. You already have contacts in that field. And you should just apply and dance. And it was like, oh, my God, I can just ask to do what I want to do and get money for it. And it was this huge realization because I had been thinking, you know, trying to anticipate what other people would judge of me mm -hmm. um, if I actually said what I wanted to do when it was like that's how simple was that but it took a lot of circling around to come to that and I think other people probably face that where they're like if I actually just said I wanted to do you know whatever it is knitting or something um, people are gonna laugh at it it's not like a real field to study it's not gonna people won't be interested in that but if you are passionate about it and you have a history with it, then that's your best bet and, and you should go for it. That sounds like a fabulous learning experience. And I'm thinking about um, how often in life we don't allow our passion to really surface. Yeah. And we don't talk about what really, what really gives us that sense of joy. Yeah. bliss and what engages us and, and I think people often limit themselves 
and say, oh, I am a this. So I love that even in your selection of degrees, you have a wide range. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which then makes you a more rounded and versatile person, and you approach life then from a very different... Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, I used to think it was unique. I recently heard of the term uh, multi-potentialite, Mm-hmm. which is somebody who keeps bouncing around between different careers. And I think up until this or up until recently, because now there mm-hmm. is a community around multipotentialites, but up until recently, it was that you lack focus. If you do that, um, you are a slacker because you don't delve into something deep enough to really master it. But I think everybody has so many facets of their personality and so many interests you know, or experiences that they can call upon to, you know, that just make them more interesting. And a friend of mine who has become kind of like a mentor, we mentor Mm -hmm. each other because we're in similar stages of life, but he reminded me recently that most people are on a fool's errand trying to search for the perfect job because except in rare cases, you're not going to find something that fulfills every part of you in one position. Like it may, you know, offer you stability, but it doesn't give you any creative outlet or it might give you creative outlet, but it doesn't, you know, give you a chance to work in groups or, you know, just that there, there aren't very many positions out there that are going to nurture every single element of us. And so if you can use a fellowship or a scholarship or find a way to do a project that does nurture that other side of you then that is great, you know, why, why not try to do that for yourself? Well, I think it's a wonderful way to find what does work for you. Yeah, that's the other thing. On many levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you try something out, because that's the other thing is that this is not a huge commitment when you get a couple months to research something or, you know, a year of travel or something, you're not in it forever but you can explore something and Mm -hmm. if it does work out if you do find yourself in a in a position that is working for you then you can try to find a similar thing when you are looking for a long-term career or you know or maybe you learn that you hate that Mm -hmm. and then you can avoid it for the rest of your career so yeah I think it's just a great I, I was as I said I was talking to college students and so at age 21 22 Again, still few people know what they really want to be doing, but having a chance to get a little bit more exploration in before you, quote unquote, settle down um, is invaluable for everybody. But I mean, I it was interesting. One of the students asked me, do you think that by traveling and doing all of these mini projects, are you avoiding real life? And I was, I, I thought That's about an it because, question. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was interesting to hear that from a 21 year, well, I don't think he was even 21, I think he was 20, um, a 20 year old, it sounded like maybe that was coming from a place of worry mm-hmm. or a place of um, judgment or his parents' judgment, because he, I think he even said, my parents would probably ask me that, are you just avoiding like your responsibilities as an adult when you're doing that? But I actually think that we don't have to settle into something forever. The way that people are working more and more these days is you have multiple careers and you have different phases of your life that you want to focus on different things. 
and having a gap between those, having a little sabbatical kind of for yourself to reevaluate, to reflect. Um, everybody would like that. It's not something that once you're an adult, I mean, in this person's perspective, once you're an adult, you can't do that. I think everybody wants that in their lives. And, um, and you know, I, for myself, I've been doing this for the last seven years, and it's, it's been back-to-back fellowship scholarships. But I don't think I'm not being a responsible adult. I mean, I do have a family, and mm-hmm. um, I am, you know, doing adult things still, <laughs> uh, even though I have been, you know, skipping from fellowships to scholarships. So, yeah, it was just interesting because I think that was a perspective that was handed down to him and uh, was limiting. So I was, I was kind of worried for that kind of a perspective that you have to stick to something because I think that's outdated. I think so. And I think too that it, that the, all these processes of figuring out what we really enjoy and who we are, one of the things that happens is we look very deeply at our assumptions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about this book is it talks a lot about how to gain skills, mm-hmm. to do very practical versions of that kind of imp- yeah. introspection. Yeah, yeah. You know, what is it I'm asking for money? Why yeah. do I want it? How yeah. do I want to do it? Where do yeah. I want to go? Yeah, where do I want to go? And, and why do I want to go yeah, there? Why yeah. do I want to go there? Yeah, it's um well, so I've been I've been learning more about myself recently through the Enneagram. I was mm-hmm. recently introduced mm-hmm. to Enneagram and I'm the kind of person who is in excited about the ideas phase and when something's new and a new idea to me that's where I get really excited but then when it starts to get harder work I kind of I tend to drop off and jump to the next exciting thing (laughs) so I realized for myself the dreaming phase is the is what really sparks joy for me is just in that stage where anything is possible Mm -hmm. and if I could do anything for the next year or six months or you know, even the rest of my life, because it's the dreaming phase, it's possible. So that's what really gets me going. But then where do you go from there? Like, how do you start pinning down details? And mm-hmm. um, that's something that I've had to learn more for myself. That's a skill that I learned and something that I wanted to give to other people, because I know other people who get really inspired by the dreaming phase also, and then it just kind of fizzles out. Um, but it's also just a great skill for communicating with people, because so many people I know have great ideas, but then they don't know how to start relaying that into a practical, you know, program or project. And so when they talk to me about it, I am looking for the details mm-hmm. and they're not really able to give those to me because they haven't started thinking about it. But even in terms of like a elevator, elevator pitch kind of situation where you have to sell your idea to mm-hmm. someone, you need to have key components to whatever okay. it and is. what would those be? So it's who, what, when, where, how, why. And All of what those. you're going to do afterwards. Yeah. So that's, you know, an elevator pitch is like if you have 90 seconds to get someone's attention about something, this is what you do. And it's a unique cocktail of, you know, enthusiasm, new idea, and then details. And that in itself, I think, is worth knowing for whatever it is you do in life, even if it's not a fellowship or a scholarship, because that's how you communicate with people about what you want to do. Right. 
right. in any situation. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, my goal was to make a workbook and that's what it mm-hmm. is. It has actual worksheets in it um, for people to start answering questions for themselves and uh, narrowing in on what it is that they're they're really seeking. So I want to ask you, you have a number of successes. You also talk about the things that didn't work out. So what's the thread in your successes? What what did you find that internally for you? Yeah. So the way that I see successes, because Mm -hmm. it's something that whenever I'm working on a project or in this application phase, I really have to build a cache of motivation for myself because Mm -hmm. it's it takes a lot of work, like you said. It's mm-hmm. hard work, um, and it's also endurance and resilience because there's a lot of rejection in the process too. You, you can count on like five rejections for every one win. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that I see it for myself is, it's like getting a present in the mail. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a box on your front doorstep, and. I mean, just, you know, you get a box on your front doorstep. Say it's even from you. It's from Amazon. Like, (laughs) we all love getting presents, (laughs) but you can pretend someone else got it for you, right? (laughs) I think that's all the root of our our motivation for online shopping is we can pretend that someone else else got it. (laughs) So, I mean, we love getting those surprises and that package. And even Mm -hmm. before you know what it is, it's like just a present. Uh And so... In receiving the success mm-hmm. of an acceptance letter or something, it's giving a present to myself of joy and excitement and nice. this it's just a little explosion of happiness that can burst into my life. And so I'm working when I'm doing the, you know, the tedium, the mm-hmm. tedious revisions and contacting people and everything, I keep in mind that little spark in that I'm giving mm-hmm. to my future self because it's a present to myself that oh, I'm beautiful. giving. So yeah, and even I mean the book, that's how I envisioned it was it was this little treasure that I was keeping inside that I was gonna give to myself once it was finished. So oh, how that's, beautiful. That's how I that's a great see. motivation. And yeah. I love and I'm wondering if your background in dance, I know a lot of dancers and yeah. I know how much um I don't know if tedium is the word, but dedicated yeah. repetition yeah. and reevaluation and correction yeah. And, yeah. and learning. Yeah, learning. Mm-hmm. Goes into being able to then actually do something. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I I myself I I am a dancer and I perform and everything, but I really don't like rehearsals it's <laughs> even even having done it my whole life I still have to fight myself to do rehearsal and so yeah it's the process of working on myself but I think having that that success or the possibility even of success mm-hmm. in the future or of joy in the future is the driver for me so and then in your conversation you mentioned your conversation with the rotary mm-hmm. um, and was that a scholarship? That's a yeah, scholarship. That's a scholarship. Okay. Because there was a wide range of people you were talking to there, and how does that feel? And what's that whole engagement like? <laughs> because there's a, you know, there's yeah, a... yeah. Well, again, it's like the it's just the communication skill that mm-hmm. um, I've learned and 
and honed after working on so many fellowships is that you have to know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I think I started really getting good at this when I did door-to-door canvassing in Massachusetts Mm -hmm. as a senior in college. And I would go just, they'd give me a list of Democrats, I think it was, but they'd give me a list to go door-to-door and ask for a membership subscription. And so to be able to get someone's attention when they're at their door, they don't want you to be there, right? (laughs) but to get their attention and then to be able to read them Mm -hmm. and understand where you're going to catch some kind of interest in them, um, that's a really good skill that it just takes a lot of practice. And that was probably the hardest practice to get that in, but um, just finding how I can connect with people, I think, is Mm -hmm. at the heart of that because if you try hard enough, you can find a way to connect to anybody in any phase of life, in any situation. If you, you know, remove judgment and you see eye to eye with them on Mm -hmm. something, then Mm -hmm. you can connect with them. Mm -hmm. So for the Rotary, they're great people. I just, when I was on the book tour, I was hosted by the president of the Rotary Club. And Rotary is so generous. I I can't say enough good things about them because they've just been so, so good to me. I've visited them about four times since getting my scholarship. And um, each time they house me, they feed me, they drive me around to even the things that aren't Rotary related. They connect me with other business people. So, I mean, I can't say enough good things about them, but, um, but they are traditionally a more conservative and uh, patriotic kind of group mm-hmm. of people because uh, traditionally they've been, you know, older white businessmen mm-hmm. in America anyway because it's mm-hmm. international. But so understanding that that's their point of view and that's how they want to see the world in some ways. Not not that any of those are bad things, but just that's how their the outlook percent. is. Yeah. Um, trying right. to connect with them on that level mm-hmm. and so calling upon what it what in my experience is my more patriotic side or um, you know just speaking to to what would be interesting to them so just I think that takes research too um, mm-hmm. in some cases if you can't meet people face to face but um, learning about people so that you know what to connect with them on because it doesn't work to just spout out what you want and not have any connection or uh, anything related to your audience. That's what's the point then? They're just they're not going to hear it, or they're going to hear it in such a different way that your message is missed. Um, but that's speaking of audience and messages. That's one of the things that I write about in failure because mm-hmm. I I have experienced a lot of failure, and for me failure is not about me. It's not that they are rejecting me. Mm-hmm. It's either that what I turned in, what I submitted wasn't good enough yet, and mm-hmm. it could be refined further, or I misjudged the audience, and so I turned it into the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And so how could they see what there was of value in my project if that's not what they're looking for, because that's not their interest. So that's my perspective on failure, which has helped me a lot in the resilience field because it's hard if you keep getting rejections like ugh. <laughs> but I think that that's a wonderful piece of information because instead of saying oh you know this I'm not good enough it's like oh 
either the product that I presented mm-hmm. them was not sufficiently complete. Which yeah. We all have a tendency to do yeah. <laughs> Like, fine, I'm done right. with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to deal Get with this anymore. Get it out anymore. of my lap. Or that it's not a gift to them. I was thinking yeah. about how you talk about the book being a gift to you. Mm-hmm. And I know that for a lot of people, their generosity, mm-hmm. somebody receiving it and being excited about what they want to empower you to do is mm-hmm. a real gift. Yeah. And so if they don't feel that connection... Yeah. then it doesn't doesn't happen yeah it doesn't resonate then so yeah it takes i mean it's a lot it's a lot of work as you said um but when it does work out it it feels wonderful and and you learn from it either way if it's a success or a failure you you learn from it and so i think um i've been formed by the successes but more maybe by the failures in the past seven years so I want to ask you, in, in the process of those failures, as well as the, as the successes, what have you learned about who you are and what interests you and how you process things? And, you know, what kind of insights has this whole... And what's valuable about yourself? Yeah. Like to be able to say, oh, I want to go to Senegal and learn yeah. how to dance, a specific dance that's carried by these people and yeah. it's traditional and how does it integrate to the current culture yeah. and, you know but what what is all that process been because I think by not doing the work we turn down an opportunity to know those parts of ourselves yeah yeah no it's that's a really deep question and I don't know that I you can just process it completely <laughs> <laughs> any part of it that engages you is fine all right um I don't know. I I really I've learned about myself that I require a high quotient of positivity in mm-hmm. my life. That I need mm-hmm. to be surrounded by more positive people than negative people, mm-hmm. and um, and that I'm really sensitive to the world, which also makes me really guarded about mm-hmm. things. Because I if I am around a lot of negativity, then it brings all, everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love just sharing things with people, like sharing experiences, sharing culture, sharing languages. I have learned three languages because mm-hmm. of this work, but also just from traveling. Um, and they're different, right? They're, yeah. They're very different. They're different yeah. language groups yeah. and everything. Well, to the French and Portuguese, but then okay. Wolof from Senegal. I've mm-hmm. learned some Wolof also. Um and does the world, do you experience the world different in different languages? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. And what's interesting, especially about like Portuguese, mm-hmm. um, I can hear it and I can understand it. But when I, I am really struggling with translating it into English, mm-hmm. I prefer to just like understand it in Portuguese because mm-hmm. it has a different feeling than if I try to translate it. So, yeah, I mean, just it, the world is so amazing and I... I feel lucky that I do get inspired by so many different things because it's, I mean, the more that I learn about something, the more I realize I don't know. And it's, there's just so many things that are fascinating in the world. So I feel lucky that I can have that outlook and not, not be upset about (laughs) the world and just more on a positive thing. (laughs) Well, but I, because I think that's how we make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Is by engaging and creating and yeah. um, 
and that, that that's a draw and that starts to create it's really very interesting I did a lot of leadership classes at one point in my life and I really felt like there's a quality of leadership that's really almost like setting a harmonic mm-hmm. or a beat and that uh-huh. allows people to rise up to, to that. rise up and <clears throat> harmonize with it yeah and yeah. that and that it it maybe doesn't even have to be super overt yeah yeah i um i definitely agree with that i did a leadership class last year for my Mm -hmm. job at bandolier and um one of the things that we read about was how whoever is the boss or whoever is a leader their mood can completely alter the workplace um you know if they come in and you can tell like people who you work with if something's not right even if they're not like overtly upset or just making a big fuss of it not even talking about it the way that you are with other people completely influences how they can be and if you're in a leadership position um you know that that sets the tone for everybody who's working with you so i like that about the setting that for the harmony yeah and I feel that that's part of what you do with this book is set a note of optimism and a yeah, note thank of you. possibility. Yeah, um, thank you. And to say to this young man who's like, well, are you avoiding real life? Yeah. Well, maybe you're really experiencing it. Yeah, maybe you're really experiencing it instead of running away from mm-hmm. the possibilities. It's funny that you talk about the optimism because my publicist said, um, she said, you say you're a big believer in creating optimism. But you were, or no, she said, I, you said you're a big, cre- big believer in creating opportunities, but I misread it as saying, I'm a big believ- believer in creating optimism. And she said, I actually think that encapsulates most of the book because it is about yes. looking up, looking on the bright side, looking for the goodness in life. And I, I do hold your hand a little bit through the through the mm-hmm. whole thing as I recount my own rejection and experience mm-hmm. with failure, and how to get beyond that. Um, one of one of my lessons that I got through parenting, which is why I say I write about parenting and, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. planning and <laughs> passions, um, was looking for the goodness. And when my husband and I were pregnant, we took a parenting class that. They said, look for the goodness because the what, how you point out the world around you not only frames how you view the world, but it frames how your child views the world and how other people view the world. And if you're always pointing out the negative things, that's going to be what is highlighted. And if you point out the positive things, that's going to be what's highlighted. And in my own experience, like I was when I was in Ithaca, New York for grad school, it was just like those clouds and the rain and everything right. did get to me as most New Mexicans find <laughs> right, when right. they try to move to the Northeast <laughs> or the Northwest. And just by, you know, walking down the street and lifting my head up and looking at the new blossoms coming out of the trees in the spring and the little buds that started to open up the positive mm. in my life and just framing it as a positive instead of a negative is makes all the difference because another thing that i've learned about enneagram um the world is we do not see the world as it is we see the world as we are yes and if we can choose to be positive and pick out the things that are good instead of the things that are bad then that's how the world is 
it's not that the world has changed at all. It's just about how we've perceived it and how we've chosen to look at it. So that's, I, I, I usually try to operate from that. I think it's very important. And I think with children and with our inner child to look for the beauty, to look for where's the, Where's the vitality, but also what can I learn here? Like yeah. to foster children are so curious, yeah. and then we're taught not to honor our inner yeah. curiosity. Yeah. But there's a that little four year old. This is yeah. why is this why is the sky blue? Why yeah. is you know? And to honor yeah. that in ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and to be gentle with ourselves too, mm-hmm. because um, one thing that I've kind of fought in the academic side of my training is the critical side mm-hmm. because. I think in academe, being critical is equated to being intelligent. And if Mm -hmm. you can find flaw in something, then that means you're astute. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it's, it's such a disconnect from how we should operate with other humans and especially in good relationship with families and friends. How great would that be if you were just always criticizing people? I mean, it'd be horrible. It would be, how horrible would that be? It's awful. It's awful. But um, you know, instead of being critical, being observant, and then also in ourselves, again, back to what other people think of us, I find one of the biggest barriers for myself is trying to make sure that other people still think I'm smart and interesting. Mm -hmm. And operating from that can get me into a corner because... It's like, no, I'm I'm really my most interesting and smart when I'm authentic and just following what I'm interested in and talking about what I'm interested in. And it's not, I shouldn't be constantly bouncing back in my head. How did that sound? Okay, that sounded good. No, that sounded bad. Mm-hmm, that sounded mm-hmm. stupid. But, you know, just being gentle with ourselves and and allowing ourselves to explore what it is that drives us. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with the inner critic and, you know, we allow our inner voices to be so unkind to us. Yeah. And instead to really support, you know, have an inner voice of support or encouragement. And to also, um, again, with people, even those critical people, to find their place of yeah. enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like what is it that, and try and get, it, it, although it's been interesting, in the process of doing the radio show, I've had a couple of people that I've tried to get them to phrase things positively. Oh, and it's, it's just... A, they just can't do it's it. in a rut. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting to be able to see for someone so clearly how they could just look at the positive side mm-hmm. of something, but they have trained themselves not to do that. <laughs> right. It's what's wrong and how yeah. do we fix it as opposed yeah. to how do we, how do we do it? And maybe not right, but in how the flow. How do we flow. support it? How yeah. do we support it? Yeah. How do we create it? How do we yeah. nurture it? Yeah. You know, how do we bring it into being? Yeah. And we don't know when you plant a seed, you don't really know yeah. what exactly gonna is going to happen yep. when it comes up. Yeah, all yeah. you can do is nurture it and hope for the best. Yeah. But um, so, one of the workshops that I did when I was in Massachusetts two weeks ago was a workshop on ending on a high note. Mm-hmm. And oh, nice. I talk about that in the book, right. which is a lesson that my mom taught me inadvertently. Like I had probably, I could have probably learned it 27 years ago, but it took me that long to articulate it and to ask my mother about it. Uh, but what I say is she's been a dance teacher for 30 years now. Mm-hmm. She's taught three classes at least a week for mm-hmm. 30 years. And after 90 minutes of really 
high-paced dancing, jumping. I mean, she's 50. She's going to be 55 this year, 54. <laughs> you know, she, you'd think she'd be ready to end, but she doesn't end until the energy is at its highest point. Oh, nice. And I, I asked her that because, you know, other people are, like, looking at the clock and, like, Ugh, we're so tired. Can right, we right. go? But she said, I don't want to end just because we're out of time. I want to end because we've reached the pinnacle of the class because that's what people are going to remember nice. when they think back on it. And that's what's going to make them want to come back and join us again. And so for ourselves, framing things and remembering things at their highest point instead of at their lowest point, I think is like one of the keys to living a successful just mm-hmm. day-to-day life, a fulfilling life day-to-day. So in the workshop, what I was talking about was... Um, if we can spend time each day reflecting on the things that were positive that happened in our day instead of the things we regretted or the things we left unfinished or you know what we dread going back to the next day, if we file our successes mm-hmm. at the end of the day, then when we come back tomorrow, we're going to be much more excited and happier to come back to it tomorrow. And um, you know, for me, that happened kind of inadvertently because I drive to Bandelier you know how right. that is. Right. You have an hour that you're stuck in your car. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as somebody who has always fought meditation, I, you know, I was kind of forced to spend an hour with myself mm-hmm. to and from work. And so after noticing that I kept in my head berating myself for like, oh, I still didn't get that done. I really regret saying that to my coworker. I should have been more kind. You know, I should have cleaned up after lunch instead of letting someone else do it. Instead of just focusing on those things, focusing on all of the other things that went well for the day Mm -hmm. really helped me go back to a good point the next day when I I returned. So that was the, the focus of the workshop that I did and something that I'm just trying to apply in my own life, but also that that applies when you're working on a fellowship or a scholarship because it is the day-to-day like you know you don't just make major progress in one day it's incremental and so how do you keep coming back to it Mm -hmm. what do you what do you look forward to um that's that's the key I think is how to work on something day-to-day and maintain enthusiasm at least until it's done Mm -hmm. (laughs) if not like for years on end right right but um yeah, I think that's one of the main lessons that I'm learning right now in my life. I think that's so important because it, I think that's where stamina comes yeah. from. Yeah. You know, is to yeah. keep, what of this works for me? What feeds me? What keeps me going? How mm-hmm. did I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a very deep... And even for the book, I um, I tell other writers because there are other writers out there, mm-hmm. I know. Even today, so I announced um, I'm having a launch party on April 30th at the rail yard. Oh, cool. So I announced it today, and two or three people came up to me, and they said, oh, my God, that's so great. You know, I'm writing a book. And so I know that there are many, many writers out there and aspiring writers and writers in progress. and, um, And one of the things, the very first day that I started writing the book I was thinking about that, that what my mom said about end on a high note. And I, I made a sticky note and put it on my keyboard. Mm-hmm. And so it reminded me that I was going to write a certain amount every day, but I wasn't going to end just because I'd written that amount. I was going to end when I was excited and like in the, 
in the momentum of it because then I would come back to it the next day with that momentum and know where I was going to start off from. Because if I ended because I had writer's block or something or was out of ideas, coming back to it the next day was probably not going to be much better. So having that reminder. I add that while we're the background noise here has been a rainstorm, uh, now it's snowing and the sun's out. So it's beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's life in New Mexico. Yeah, it's life in New Mexico, but it's gorgeous out the window with the with the bright sunlight through the cloud of the fog of snow. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Yeah. Life, life in the yeah. Have, I think we're up in the clouds. Yeah, we're, we are in the clouds in the mountain. <laughs> but I think this is so exciting, Lucy. I'm so excited about your book because I think it will really inspire the practical part of doing it. And I think some people, when they hear Create Your Bliss or Follow Your mm-hmm. Bliss or Engage Your Passion, they think if you're not in that state of rapture all the time, then yeah, you're not doing you're it. you're not doing it, but that's only part of it. and learning how to harness it and how to also something else I've been learning more about myself is how to trust Mm -hmm. when something is the right thing because when I know it's right it just pulls me and it's just things line up and it happens and so exploring and feeling around for what that thing is and then when that when I hit that thing and it just like pulls me and all of a sudden I can see all the details starting to line up learning that that's where my flow is and that's where I can trust and what the next thing is for me because some I've been trying this past year to make some things work that aren't working and it's like I know I just need to trust where I feel that resonance and, and go towards it. Yeah, and sometimes when you're doing that, you're like, okay, this is really not supposed to manifest. Yeah. And I'm okay. I'm yeah. now. I finally got the message. Yeah. <laughs> like, not here. Not now. Not yeah. This. Yeah. And and it helps you refine then what what is know, the what thing. is it or why mm-hmm. what 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 am I really looking yeah. for? Yeah. Or what what's missing in the mm-hmm. in the in the formula for it? Because right, right. it might be that you're missing a component that needs to work right. for it to happen. So not even necessarily because. Some things take years to work. It's not, not everything happens instantaneously. Um, and even I mentioned to people, I didn't get the Fulbright the first time. Mm-hmm. I got it after my second try. But, um, you know, trusting and getting feedback on things and asking for feedback. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people think, no, I can do it. I can do it. This is all, I just need to buckle down and do it. But asking for feedback and asking for external input, that's... That's part of the key of doing it. So so what are some of your hints on how to do that? Because that's, I think, scary for people. Well, I think it's, again, about the judgment thing. It's mm-hmm. like, what are people going to think of me if I tell them this is what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Are they going to laugh? And, um, you know, maybe some people will, but maybe those aren't the people that you should be asking. So um, I have, I've developed a trusted group of close mentors and advisors and a lot of them are my contemporaries Mm -hmm. some are older people but a lot are my contemporaries but they're just people who I trust their opinion and I know that they respect and admire me for what I have to to contribute and so I ask them but honestly I ask them on like everything that I do like I've asked them on this book Uh I've asked them on job applications I've 
you know, just even asked for like life advice from them, but just having a group of people who I know will support me and, um, and who will have something interesting that I hadn't thought of to help me see clearer. That's, Mm -hmm. that's one of the best ways is to, to gather a group of people who you trust and who, you know, respect you. Cause maybe you're asking somebody who you admire, but they don't respect you. Mm-hmm. Or know you, maybe. Or know you, yeah. Maybe they just don't know you very well. Um, but yeah, I think feedback is one of the best ways to do that, getting feedback from people. That's really, really wonderful. Yeah. And so, and I think the other thing that happens in life as you follow the flow, as you keep working, as you develop the skills to do the next step if things aren't working, um, you turn back and look at your life and you're in a very different trajectory yeah. than you could have ever imagined. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Ever. Ever, yeah. There's no way I could have told you I'd be at this point in my life five years ago. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that's also just part of the adventure is following what comes up in my life and and exploring that for a little bit and then, you know, figuring out what's next from there. But um how much more of an interesting life is that than just oh, yeah. plugging away at one thing, uh, even when it's not satisfying. So, yeah, it's, and I think I was kind of maybe forced into this, although I think it's more of a blessing than a force, mm-hmm. but um, I graduated in 2009 from college when there were no jobs, mm-hmm. no, no jobs. Like I had friends who were applying for a hundred jobs a day on monster.com wow. and stuff. And it was the worst time to get a job in decades probably so in seeing that experience and knowing for myself that I was not the kind of person who would pick up a job you know doing something I didn't care about um, I decided to go full force into this field that I had just started to learn about which was getting funding to do what I was interested in doing Mm -hmm. and it was still a lot of work I still had to apply for a lot of stuff but each time I applied for it, it was, I, I was just refining my own vision and people could tell that I was passionate about it. So I did end up getting funding for that first thing that I did after college, which was the environmental education program in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think some things can come out of circumstance, Mm -hmm. uh, such as my experience did, but, um, you know, that's another thing about learning from the pain and the failure is like, okay, what opportunities are in the, are in this failure and in this pain or in this time of stress, um, which is a hard a hard place to operate from. But um, you know, there are opportunities everywhere. Well, I think that goes back to what you were saying about the optimism and what can be done. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. This discernment this isn't work. Yeah, to be but... <laughs> realistic about what can be done, and yeah. then to say, okay, this can be done, and how do I learn how to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I position myself to be the person who's going to get funded to do that? And I love. Um, there's a lot of process in your book, so it's there's an implication. Although I don't know, you maybe you do state this directly, but. That if you're not good at it, you can learn how. And yeah. you don't have to be perfect at yep. it. Yep, yep. You can be accurate, but you yeah. don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best one in the world. Yeah, I'm not the best at anything you know, in the world. <laughs> but I don't know, not very many people are. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, yeah, I think most of us are not the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's another 
one of my key messages is anyone can do this. It's not because you are a great student. I was not the best student in mm-hmm. school. I, I mean, I did fine, but I was not at the top of my class ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get some of the fellowships on my first try, but that didn't matter. Um, another thing that people think is these are fellowships are only for college students. That's also a myth. There's mm-hmm. I, I have an alert for fellowships and scholarships that comes into my email. And one day I saw one for real estate. And I was like, wow, wow. there's real estate fellowships. Okay. Um, so, you know, any field. But I hit my peak after I graduated from school. And it wasn't with having a stellar transcript either. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a skill set that you can learn. It's not something you had to be born with. It's just when you have uh, the combination of the guide, which I mm-hmm. am trying to provide for people, as well as mentors who mm-hmm. you trust, um, as well as, you know, the, the ability to understand what you want to do. Um, you can, you can do this. It's not that it's for only really smart or <laughs> I don't even like that word actually, but, um, it's, it's, a, it's something you can learn. Well, and I love that also you were very willing to be flexible about which of your many interests you were willing to try. Yeah. And how, what ones did you want to talk about? What was there money for? Right. And so there's a real openness to being very practical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, so the first fellowship that I got was this microfinance fellowship to Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And I had been trying, trying to get a fellowship to Senegal. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, if I get a microfinance fellowship to Senegal, then I can dance back to like the <laughs> ulterior motive. I can dance if I have some like realistic reason to be there. Um, and so I worked on it. I like had so many people review it and I ended up getting the fellowship, but they did not send me to Senegal. They said, we're going to accept you, but you're going to Cameroon. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> it was remarkable that I had gotten it even, but right. and after all that work, and I nearly said no because I was like, well, I don't even know where Cameroon is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there if I can't dance. <sighs> I was going to reject it, but I ended up taking it, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And it was something completely out of my realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Somewhere I didn't know, didn't even know where it was on a map, but I ended up meeting my husband there, and that How has, wonderful is has that? shaped the course of my life, obviously. So, yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes being open to what life throws at you, even if it's not what you had in mind and is a little bit inconvenient, um, can be the best thing that ever happened to you. That's so exciting, and yeah. I really want to commend you for your talents and your abilities in... in all those areas and your willingness to reach out and stretch. And so what's your current... (laughs) (laughs) That's my plan. Right. What's your dream or vision? Well, so I've been... I'm at a career change moment in my Mm -hmm. life right now. I'm Mm -hmm. in this position at Bandelier as a transportation scholar, which was a one-year position, and they've just asked me to renew. So I've been there for three years now. That's wonderful. Um, Yeah. No, I'm really pleased that they like me enough to... So that was after the fire and everything, yeah, right? Yeah, that's after the fire. And um, yeah, it was a one-year position that's turned into a three-year position and something I love doing. Um, but that's ending in September. And so I was, I'm kind of at this decision point of what do I do next? And I was feeling a lot of pressure to 
continue going into you know a county or city position mm-hmm. as a city planner but I um, I kind of reached out of my fear and I went back to Cameroon which is something that I hadn't done in six years mm-hmm. um, and I took that time to just kind of get some distance from my life and and try and release myself from fear of like what would happen if I don't have something stable because I have felt that pressure recently of having something stable in my life. Um, And what I came to was, you know, I'm going to work on my academic side, Mm -hmm. do something, publish some papers in transportation planning so I can keep that thread of my career going. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to push myself to get a full-time job in that and, you know, force myself into this mold because I don't feel like that would be nourishing for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of people who I could reach out to, who I could just kind of work with on research papers and then figure out something for an income aside from that. And then when I got back, someone from my Fulbright in Senegal reached out to me and she said, you know, we're starting this um, team of consultants and we want to do transportation planning in Africa. Wow. And part of that, we want to do research, but we want to do transportation planning and planning for Africans. And the team is three other Africans, and then they invited me to join. So I feel like that was kind of like manifesting, (laughs) because I I was like, wait a minute, I was just looking for something like exactly like that. So I'm in this team now that's in its nascent stage of forming what what we're doing and starting to look for um, projects that we can bid on in Africa. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I have for what's next, and I'm open to whatever can supplement that so how exciting is yeah. that and so let's talk a little bit about the book okay <laughs> what, what do you have yeah the book and the opening and your so the publication date is the publication date is may 16th may 16th okay and it's going to it's on amazon and barnes and noble and books a million and everything now so you can pre-order it and but you can also buy the ebook you can also buy the ebook now right and um, we're having a launch party in Santa Fe on April 30th. That's a Saturday um, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Rail Yard Performance Center. And that will right. be a little bit of a book reading, book signing, but mostly it's just going to be music and friends and snacks and a party to celebrate the books coming out. And there are a couple events around that. I'm doing a reading at UNM Bookstore um, nice. on April 28th. From one, to, I think it's from one to two p.m. But that's part of the Fulbright Association's seventieth celebration of the seventieth anniversary of Fulbright. Um, and then I'm going to be at St. John's on Tuesday, May third, also Wonderful. for a reading and workshop. So yeah, there are a couple events in Santa Fe around it also. And are you doing? It just occurred to me. Any reach out to like high school kids? Yeah, I'm just starting to do the reach out to high school kids because I really want to get into senior classrooms to let them know that, you know, on the horizon there's college, but while you're preparing for that major step in life, there's also all of these other ways that you can figure out how to go to college, but also how to do what you're interested in. And there's not just one path. So keep your eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. And you have a website? And I have a website. It's www.lucygentfoma.com. And maybe you can put that on your website with the Oh, yes. I'll put it on with the the funding. And the book is called Funded, 
how I leverage my passion to live a fulfilling life, and how you can too. And thank you so much, Lucy, for coming up here in the snowstorm. <laughs> it makes it more magical. <laughs> thank you for having me. To talk about how to create your bliss. It's really wonderful. And I wish you all the luck in the world and on your future adventures. Thank you so much.